The last time I spoke here, I spoke about the formal aspects of the practice and how, looking back at my own history as a Zen student, how it helped me and how this clarity that comes out of the practice was really important as a catalyst. I also said, and I want to repeat that, that uh, of course part of the reason that it was good for me is that there was some kind of compatibility. Formal Rinzai Zen practice or formal Zen practice altogether is not a panacea. It's not meant to claim or to project itself as the solution for everybody. While you see some people who tend to get engaged in the formality and are able to see through the top layers, the surface, into the depth of what it expresses, there are other people who choose other paths. And that's fine. That's wonderful that you can find out that these other paths exist. This is not for everybody. And it's not exclusive by the fact that it's not for everybody. It is a difficult path. And it cannot be done upon anybody's recommendation. I've often said, when asked about Rinzai Zen practice that I cannot recommend it. I cannot recommend it because doing it on mere recommendation will not get you through it. So is formality, is this expression of the Buddhist teachings something that is to be judged because it is formal? Sure, if you'd like to judge it, you're welcome to do that. But saying that some people are turned off by the formality and if they don't fit in the mold they are rejected is probably a mischaracterization of what a good teacher would do. A good teacher would advise the person who feels that way to seek out all the other ways that practices like this can be done we have this wonderful opportunity to choose from so many different paths. So it is not a rejection. Sometimes if there is a question about if something works for you, it's really important to not see that as a rejection, but as an opportunity to explore something else. And if there's a place that rejects people because they don't fall into the form without going any further than just saying that, then that might be a good place to leave anyway. But what I wanted to speak about today is what is it about needing a teacher or having a teacher? Buddhism and teachers go hand in hand. The Buddha is the teacher. The Buddha is often portrayed as the one who arrived at this realization all by himself, sitting down for eight days. And on the morning of the eighth day, awakening and henceforth being called the Buddha.
How did Siddhartha arrive there? All by himself? Certainly not. He had the companionship of fellow samanas, of ascetics. He studied with a number of teachers. His father, who was a Brahmin, taught Siddhartha. And he explored all kinds of teachings and moved from one to the next because he knew there was more to it than this or that teaching or this or that form. If we wanted to say it in a negative way, we could say he was dissatisfied with the teachings. But I don't like to put it that way because dissatisfaction requires some kind of idea of what would satisfy oneself. And not knowing is quite different. So the Buddha identified as a young man, as an ascetic. He gave himself fully to that practice, whatever it was at the time. And he found that, yeah, time to look for something else. So teachers brought the Buddha, Siddhartha, under the tree. The clarification with elders, with fellow practitioners, followers of the way, is really important in a practice like the one we do here. Community, Sangha, is an experience of the Dharma, of the activity of Dharma, of relationship of kinship, and sometimes of opposition. All of it has to be included in it to be called a complete teaching. But as we see in the personal history of Siddhartha, in the end it leads to the realization that there is no external teacher who can give you anything who could give him anything, anything but developing the clarity of knowing what he had to do. Here in America, we had teachers come from Japan and bring Rinzai Zen with a very distinct Japanese flavor. My own ordination master, Gyozan Joshu Roshi came in 1962 and spent a lot of time building up centers, teaching day in, teaching day out, and continuing it until he died three and a half years ago at the age of 107 years. Was he a human being? Of course he was a human being. Did he make mistakes or commit reprehensible actions? Like all of us, I'm sure he did. What I can speak for, though, is the experience that I had as his disciple in our interaction. And that is the only thing to which I can authentically speak. 
Sometimes Joshu Roshi was asked by the students, and I said that last time, what will we do, Roshi, when you die? And that is the same question that the Buddha was asked by Ananda. And the Buddha's reply was the Gata, Atadipa, Viharata, Atta Sarana, Ananda Sarana, Dhamma Dipa, Dhamma Sarana, Ananda Sarana. You are the light. Rely on yourself. Don't rely on anything else. The Dharma is the light. Rely on the Dharma. Don't rely on anything else. Joshu Roshi used to say, make the Dharma activity your teacher. And the clarification process of this practice is what brings us to the realization that no matter with what teacher we study, what tradition we follow, what teachings we receive, we try to understand and process, in the end, they are catalysts to bring us to the realization that the Dharma activity has always been with us, that we are the Dharma activity, and that everything else is just an aspect of it. So there are no teachers. There is nothing to be taught. There are no students. There is nothing to be studied. Our teachers who came from Japan, they came into a different culture, completely foreign to them. They came in interesting times, the 60s, and they dedicated their lives to bringing forth the Dharma. And as we walked the path of a Dharma teacher, as we walked the path of a Dharma student, we made mistakes. What the practice teaches us over time is that there is no escape from the repercussions. There is no brushing it under the carpet. It will come out somehow. And again, a few talks back that I gave, I talked about karma and dharma and about intention. No matter what the intention behind an act is, it might end up causing harm, harmful karma. All of us, we ought to be really careful in what we do, how we live and what we say, how we act, how we interact with others. I was very dedicated to Joshua Roshi and his teaching. But ultimately, his disappearance made me realize what that great teaching actually is. And as such, his aspect of a teacher is always with me. That is when we talk about 
the eyebrows of the teacher and the student touching and intermingling, seeing eye to eye, ishin denshin, the transmission of one heart. Last November, at the ceremony at Daibusatsu Zendo, Jingiroshi transmitted that what is not transmittable. And I became a Dharma heir in the lineage of Soi Nakagawa, who handed over this transmission in a public ceremony to his student, Shimano Edo Sotai, who then in turn gave Dharma transmission to Shinge Roshi. This lineage is that seeing eye to eye of the eyebrows touching all the way back to Bodhidharma, to the historical Buddha. The archetypical human clarity of an awakened mind is what cannot be transmitted. It can't even be talked about clearly. So don't be fooled by the words you hear. Looking back at Joshua Roshi, now my deep sympathy and my heart goes out to all the students who were students of Edo Sotai Shimano, who passed away last weekend while visiting in Japan, giving his last Teisho at the junior college attached to Shogenji, where Yamakawa Roshi is the master. 85 years on this planet, a long time engaged in building what now is the Zen Studies Society, bringing Daibusatsu Zendo into this world. A lot of work for the Dharma has been done. I only met Edo Roshi face to face four, maybe five times. But whatever that might have been, in the end it is incumbent now on me to carry forward that lineage and that clarity that this practice can bring to the human beings here in America, around the world, to all beings. And as such, I have deep gratitude for everything that he did for the sake of the Dharma. So having a teacher is important. But as you can see, as you can hear from what I'm telling you, these teachers disappear. And often that disappearance of somebody who is significant in our lives is a very good point to look at ourselves and to arrive at the point where the student 
disappears and the teacher disappears and the activity of Dharma becomes our teacher, becomes our life, becomes our study. And once that happens, a deep sense of gratitude and responsibility develops. Responsibility not only for our own actions, but responsibility for that what is commonly referred to as the treasure of the Dharma and of making it possible for others in this world to encounter that clarity and the practices that help us clarify our human existence. So eventually there will be a memorial service for Edo Roshi at Daibusatsu Zendo. And in our way, all of us are to bow in deep gratitude for the Dharma work that has been done. The Dharma work from which we all benefit. And at the same time, let the shortcomings of those who we called our teachers be warnings to ourselves that clarity does not mean perfection and that we always ought to be vigilant and awake because still we are humans. Oh.